0: For Don't Patrol?
1: I got um
0: a lot of memories from Don't Patrol. That's awesome. That's yes. that's why we're here, right? Okay, so the first question I had for you is do you remember the first time you ever heard the words Don't Patrol? You ever heard it referred to as Don't Patrol, where you heard it? I mean, I, I, I
1: would know. I don't remember the exact time. I mean, it was I first started covering Saints games, home games, uh in eighty seven, the very first year, the first winning season. Right. And you know you would drive you've done it with me before you drive down listen to wwl all the way there right. and right. on the way back after the game and so you hear all the commercials so i'm sure it was during you know pre-game one game but i couldn't i couldn't say oh i remember when it happened no i don't i don't
0: know i had i did some deep research to try to find out who came up with it who was the first person to said it i could never find it i mean i I searched for hours trying to find who came up with the name. I don't know who did it. You so. seen the pig I mean, you oh, you've I've seen, seen the pictures and all that. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that famous poster that you know pretty much every kid had in their room. With they were all dressed like police officers. And yeah. No, it was a very famous photo, but I don't know where it came from. So I was wondering if you might have known, but um, if anybody knows, please let me know. <laughs> I, I probably spent at least two hours trying to find it. And I never could find it. I've got ten pages of notes here, and I never I couldn't find who came up with it. But. Uh, but we're talking about the Dome Patrol, one of the most dominant defenses in NFL history, and they played for the Saints. They came along in a time that there wasn't a whole lot of positive things going on for the Saints, and, and, the, and the franchise's history was looking kind of grim. But when the Don Patrol kind of came in in 86, a lot of things were about to change. What do you remember about 86 and what was going on with, with the team? It really the, – the good defensive
1: play really started before – when they, you know, they drafted Ricky in 81 and Russell Gary, well, the Dome Patrol for most people is the four linebackers. Right. Okay. I mean, I guess some people refer to the whole defense that way, but Whitney Paul was really good. Like, they had really, in the three or four years before that, they had really good linebacker play. Kovach was at the very end of his career, and Ricky was there, and Whitney Paul was really good. So, the really top-notch defensive play out front and – linebacker play, now I'm not saying it was as good as the actual don't patrol, but it actually started before in the in the early 80s. They were really good. You go back, they played a lot of competitive games, low-scoring games, played some good defense. I mean, think about it. In 83, the year that they should have made the playoffs, they didn't have a great offense. Kenny Stabler was the quarterback. I mean, and look at his stats. If you would look at, like, Kenny Stabler's stats from 1983 compared to, you know, anything Drew Brees did or even Aaron Brooks, I mean, you would say, well, how did they almost make the playoffs? Mm-hmm. So they were playing good defense then.
0: When you refer to the dome patrol, do you refer to just? The, are you referring to the linebackers? Or I, it... I think I'm we're linebackers. Okay. But
1: again, I, I understand it. But when, when I talk about the dome patrol defense, I just have so many. It's it's amazing to me as we get into this. How many different. Thoughts I have. Each one of them is uniquely different. Definitely. And um, uh, but yeah, go ahead. No, it's uh I when I say the Dome Patrol, I'm talking about the four linebackers, but if someone's talking about the defense, it makes just as
0: much sense to me. Most of the stuff we're gonna do today is on the linebackers. Go check out an article by Alex Gelhar. He wrote it in 2016 on the Dome Patrol for NFL.com. It's fantastic it's, have you ever read it? Do you, do, I didn't recognize it. Go check it out. It's really good. He goes kind of in deep detail on in, in each player in, in their paths. I'm going to reference it a lot because I got a lot of stuff from that, from that article. It was really good. So it was in, in 2016 by Alex Gale for NFL.com. Here's what he said from 87 to 92, Ricky Jackson, Sam Mills, Vaughn Johnson, and Pat Swilling combined to form one of the best linebacking quartets in football history. There were four incredibly unique, and remarkably talented individuals who all took different paths to the NFL. Fortunately for the Saints, each one of those past paths converged in New Orleans. It wasn't the norm for the team to have a lot of talent in in one kind of one spot. So just a lot different than what we had gone through in in, in earlier. Mora
1: got there, and Vic Fangio who's now the head coach of the Denver Broncos, was the linebacker coach of the Dome Patrol. And then you had... Dom Capers, who I call King Benedict, and he left to go be the head coach of, of the Carolina Panthers in the expansion year. And, and, you know, he was in the secondary. And, uh, you know, so they had a lot of um, good co- – I mean, we didn't really know who they were, but mm-hmm. most of them have gone on and done other things. So they were obviously pretty good coaches. Right. And, and so I think the first thing is Jim Moore assembled a really good coaching staff. Right. You know, we had talked in one of the previous ones about how good that not, that 81 – draft was and two huge well three huge members there was Frank Warren who played on the defensive line Jim Wilkes who played on the defensive line and then Ricky Jackson those defensive linemen being so good obviously had a huge part played a huge
0: role in the dome
1: patrol being as good as they were
0: let's get into the paths of the players and how they got it to the Saints let's go back to 1980 the Saints head coach was Dick Nolan Saints finished 1-15 and 80 they started the year 0-14 after week 12, lost to the Rams, the Saints fired Dick Nolan. Nolan finished his career with 15-29 record. At the time, he was the winningest coach in team history at 15-29. <laughs> uh, he'd soon be surpassed by Mora and Hazlitt and, of course, Sean Payton. Not sure we'll talk a whole lot about Dick Nolan in the future, but any Dick Nolan stories? Well,
1: Dick, Dick Nolan, you know, it, it, it's it's amazing how so many things tied Dick Nolan. He came from the Cowboys, and he had roots with the 49ers. And obviously, uh, his son was just far- – fired as a defensive coordinator for the Cowboys and had been with the 49ers right. and had been with the Saints. So it's kind of all kind of intertwined there. Definitely. During
0: that 1980 season where they went 1-15, Chuck Muncie, who we talked about in the draft episode, he was a Saints running back, uh, he got off to a rocky start in 1980, got into some issues with drugs. He was missing a lot of meetings. It was very surprising because in 79, Muncie made the Pro Bowl. Nolan decides to trade Muncie to the Chargers in exchange for a second-round pick. You remember anything about Muncie getting traded and all that stuff?
1: Oh yeah, it was it was awful. And then, you know, Wes Chandler was gone and Muncie and those were the other than Archie, who was the quarterback, I mean, those were the two most talented players that ever played for the Saints. Mm-hmm. Wes Chandler was one of the few first round picks that just, that you could tell that guy was good. And Muncie was good too. They were
0: the two most talented players that ever played for the Saints in that era. So as a fan It was depressing. Depressing, yes. yes very depressing. Dick Stanfell had taken over as the interim coach, but they fired him at the end of the 80 season. They hired Bum Phillips. We're going to do a Bum Phillips episode. I know that we actually just talked about that off the air. But uh, Bum coming over in 81 was a pretty big deal.
1: Was huge because a lot of people down here like the Cowboys. If you liked the Cowboys, you probably hated the Steelers because they were having all those Super Bowls in the '70s. And the Steelers' big rivalry before they got to the Super Bowl was the Oilers. I mean, and, and Earl Campbell and oh, Bum was high profile. I mean, we thought that was this was big stuff getting yeah. Bum Phillips. Of course, he was kind of towards the end of his career, but we'll talk all about in another one. But no, he did he that he did the famous
0: '81 draft. So in the 81 draft, the Saints had the number one overall pick. They finished 1-15, so they had the number one overall pick. They take George Rogers, who ended up a pretty good player, and they also had the first pick in the second round. They take Russell Gary. Gary played for the Saints from 81 to 86. He had his best season in 1983 when he had three interceptions. Any good Russell Gary story?
1: Well, Russell Gary was not a great player, but he was just a good, steady player. You look back and you probably say he was – you know, the worst guy that from that draft that stuck. Yep. You know, he wasn't as good as Wilkes or Warren or uh, he wasn't as good as Hobie Brenner. Probably wasn't even as good as George Rogers, even though George was an offensive player, but but he was a good steady player. He wasn't a bad pick. He just wasn't a great player. Later
0: on in that second round, the 52nd pick overall, Saints took the first member of what would become the Don't Patrol Ricky Jackson linebacker out of Pittsburgh. You said in our draft episode, he's probably the best pick in Saints history.
1: Yeah, you'd have to say that. Just because, I mean, how often do you draft Hall of Famers. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Not the Saints, anyway. No, no, they only have Not in that era.
0: no, not at all. So Jackson hits the ground running with the Saints by 1983. He's in the Pro Bowl. He makes four straight Pro Bowls from 83 to 86, records double-digit sacks in 83, 84, and 85. So before the Don't Patrol is even a thing, we recognize that Ricky Jackson's a stud. He was just – He was a unique player because you could tell –
1: I mean, you you we've probably both known a lot of people like this. Like you could tell he was not a scholar, but he was really smart. Yeah, and he was wise. Like for sure, he didn't speak like some English major or anything. But you could tell he he was smarter than just about everybody else in in what he was doing. I mean, he just I don't know how much weights he lifted, but he I, I always looked at him like he looked so wiry. Yeah. like he wasn't like this big weightlifter guy and yet he was strong and he probably didn't run the 40 that great and yet he was quick and fast i mean he was the, a strange figure in in so all those ways really yeah. like you know he did so many things that you would just crazy you'd hear all these crazy stories that he would do off the field and but on the field he was as reliable as anyone that you ever had it's hard to place what he is and yet he was so good at so many things
0: so midway through 85, Bum decides he's done. He resigns, turns the team over to, to Wade Wade Phillips, who's his son for the remainder of the season. Wade goes one and three. The Saints finish five and 11. Things aren't looking too great right here in 85. But a whole lot is about to change in 86. The Saints hired Jim Mora. Mora was the head coach of the Philadelphia Stars and Baltimore Stars of the USFL. Kev, the USFL, the Saints have a ton of significant figures from the USFL. What do you remember much about the USFL? Hardly nothing.
1: Uh, You know, we have a friend. I have a friend who's a huge USFL guy. He still talks about the USFL all the time. And I told him one time, I don't think I ever saw a USFL football game. Like, I know I saw, like, plays here and there. But I have zero memory of ever sitting down saying, you know, I think I'm going to watch a USFL game today. I don't think I ever (laughs) did that. Now, obviously, I had some interest. I mean, you know. I was a college football fan, NFL football fan. I saw Herschel Walker play, and I mean, Herschel Walker's going to play for the New Jersey Generals. Like, what, is, what what's going on here? But right. I, I don't think, other than when the Breakers played a preseason game at Cajun Field one time, I don't think I ever saw a Breakers game. I just, I don't know. I was a Saints fan probably more than I was an NFL fan. I've always been that way, and I, I just don't, I just don't think I ever watched the USFL. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think a lot of people are like that. You know, they were they just they were so invested in their NFL team, they just didn't yeah. really have time for a secondary team. But anyway, in 84, Moore is the USFL Coach of the Year. In 85, the Stars win the USFL Championship. He's largely regarded as the greatest coach in USFL history. The man who hired Jim Moore, however, was Jim Finks, Saints' new general manager in 86. Finks was the longtime general manager of the Bears and Vikings. He was actually the president of the Chicago Cubs before he comes over to the Saints. He was instrumental in building the 85 Bears team as well as all those all those Super Bowl teams the Vikings had in the 70s. Do you think Finks was a bigger addition to the franchise than Mora, or did they kind of go hand in hand?
1: Yeah, I think their philosophies were very different. They were both line of scrimmage guys. And you know, how ironic is that? We have this like – look, the Saints have won a lot of games, and and we have this fancy offense and all that. But if you look at the core of Sean Payton and how they draft, it's, it's always based on really about the line of scrimmage. That's yeah. really – kind of where they draft. That's kind of how they drafted back then. Now, the difference is Sean Payton had as an innovative offensive mind to utilize these line of scrimmage guys that he drafts, and the and the Saints were a lot more conservative back then. But a lot of people were that conservative mm-hmm. back then. I right. mean, you had Dan Fouts and Eric Coryell, where Wes Chandler and Chuck Muncie went, and you had a couple other high-flying, high, high flying. but a lot of teams were pretty conservative and, and one with defense. But no, it, it is interesting how... They, they were very similar because they were about drafting offensive linemen
0: and playing good defense. Finks hires Mora. They begin making their moves in the offseason. One of the first things that Mora does when he comes over is he signs Sam Mills. Mills played college football at Montclair State in New Jersey, where he actually walked on. Uh, after college, he signed with the Cleveland Browns in 1981. After he went undrafted, he didn't make the Browns. He spent a year in the CFL. And by 1982, he found himself completely out of football teaching high school. He was 5'9". Pro scouts thought he lacked the size to be effective in the NFL. Ghost plays in the USFL for Jim Moore. Moore and Mills had great success together with the Stars. Mills makes the all-USFL team every year that he's there. Finks actually didn't want Mills, thought he was way too small, but Moore insisted on bringing him in. Mills comes over to the Saints in 86, so... Kind of seems like Mora and Mills created that relationship in the USFL that's kind of carried over to the Saints.
1: Yeah, now that's something that's different because the Saints today probably would not have taken Sam Mills because they're very prototype. Like, they want all their draft picks and guys that they add for the most part to be a certain size, certain height, certain strength. You know, they they want certain – they call it prototyping. The current Saints regime might not have taken him, but he was just – I mean, you know, he's just a great example for all high school players who are not who are undersized. He played with um, smartness, and he obviously had some physical ability, but it was more about his brain and being in the right and having the right instincts. And you wonder, how would Sam Mills fit in today? Mm-hmm. I think he would fit in a little better because, you know, today linebackers are about being finesse and smart and being in the right place and covering people and, you know, I don't know that he could cover a big linebacker, as small, short
0: as he was, but he, he might fit in a little better than we think. So now we get to the 86 draft, and he had said in our draft episode this is one of the best drafts in Saints history. In the first round, the Saints take Jim Dombrowski, the guard from Virginia. In the second round, they take Dalton Hilliard, who we all love from LSU. They take Reuben Mays in the third round, running back from Washington State. Me. And then with their second third-round pick, they take Pat Swilling, linebacker from Georgia Tech. This is what Alex Galkar writes in that article I referenced earlier. In Swilling, the Saints found the perfect complement to Jackson's all-around ability and grit. Swilling possessed the holy grail of unteachable assets, speed. Blessed with one of the fastest first steps in his era, Swilling was a nightmare to block. And his speed around the edge set up a devastating spin move when opposing tackles would overplay him to the outside. So I did a lot of research for this episode, a lot of research on Swilling. He was my favorite of the Don't Patrol. Everything I read said his speed is what set him apart. Do you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. he you know we're going to get into this as we go in, but of the I'm going to tell you l- l- later, and you'll see who my favorite of the four dome patrol is, and to my kind of my personality, it's the least well known of all right. of all four of them. <laughs> but he wasn't the best one, but he was my favorite. Swilling was probably the smartest of all of them, although Sam Mills was was I would think very smart, very articulate. Uh, Swilling to to interview, he was more. Well, I don't know. I guess Vaughn Johnson was pretty one-dimensional, too. But Swilling was pretty one-dimensional. He was he was fast, but he he always aggravated me because he was not great at picking up footballs. Like, if there was a fumble – now, he was great at getting sacks. But he if there was a fumble, he would regularly not scoop it up. Whereas Ricky, who wasn't nearly as fast or seemingly as athletic, he, he had the good hands that would – would scoop up the fumbles. Swilling was, he was a perfect complement. You needed a speed rusher. I mean, it still needs speed rush. Yeah, rushers. for sure. He was great at that. I just wish he had a little better hands. In fact, almost every time the Saints go to pick up a football, even today, and the guy doesn't come up with it, my first thought is, Pat Swilling, <laughs> there he goes.
0: Got another Pat <laughs> Swilling on his team. So now the Saints have Ricky Jackson, they have Pat Swilling, they have Sam Mills. And this is what Gale Hart writes. He said Mills' ability to read and diagnose opposing plays made him a natural choice to serve as the defense's field general, delivering assignments from the huddle, making adjustments on the fly. With Mills calling the shots as Swilling and Jackson swarm from the edges, all that was missing was an enforcer, someone to set the physical tone for the defense, Vaughn Johnson. So Johnson played his college football at North Carolina State. He gets drafted by the Jacksonville Bulls of the USFL. Interestingly enough, he also gets drafted by the Saints in the one-time NFL supplemental draft of USFL and CFL players in 1984. He's the 15th pick in that draft. Lots of big names were in that draft. Steve Young was the first overall pick. Reggie White was in that draft. The Saints also got Mel Gray in that draft. What can you tell us about that supplemental draft in 1984? I think
1: they had a linebacker named Steve Bearden, too, I want to say. They, they drafted him in that draft. Well, I mean, you know, that wasn't highly publicized. So, you know, you had to really be into it to yeah. really know a lot about it. But obviously... If you're a Saints fan, you know a lot about Vaughn Johnson. He was my absolute favorite just because, you know, I was a young sports rider. It's kind of intimidating when you're, what was I, 21 years old. Yeah. And you're going into a locker room and you got Ricky Jackson and he looks like he would, might want to eat you, you know. <laughs> Sam Mills was always very professional and real nice. And and uh, Swilling was classy. He was the one that had the fancy suit kind of look. And then you had this Vaughn Johnson who just – I mean, it looked like he didn't have a neck, you know? He just had this big head. He was the nicest of all of them, I think. Now, just nice guy, mm-hmm. genuinely nice person. And and it's funny because, you know, they use the word enforcer and yet he was, he was so physical and he probably was kind of the one dimensional and the thing that he did kind of like swelling in that he was a tough physical middle tip, you know, old school kind of middle linebacker, but just the nicest guy, just smiled, great to talk to. It was fun stopping to run, and he was the big. I mean, obviously they all played a role in it, yeah. but he was the guy that hit you. I mean, really hit you with with extra oomph. So no, it's fun stopping to run. I, he he was my favorite. That, when you go back and look at some of the numbers, they they just they didn't give up many yards, yeah. rushing, and he was a huge part of that.
0: So Johnson played a couple of years in the USF, USFL and it comes over to the Saints in '86. So now we have the foursome together. Wara Steve Sidwell in 1986 as defensive coordinator. Sidwell coached in college in the 60s and 70s. He spent three years with the Patriots as linebackers coach. He spent one year as a D-line coach in Indianapolis before he comes over to the Saints. He's the inside linebackers coach and defensive coordinator. So how'd you like Sidwell? How much of the what the Don't Patrol ended up doing would you credit to Sidwell? Oh, I mean, obviously a huge part of it. He he was
1: kind of like an old school coach, didn't have a lot of personality. It was hard to be mad at him because he always kind of looked like he knew what he was doing. He'd wear the glasses and over the years, Saints fans are fans of any team. There's certain coordinators that you really don't like and you fuss at. I don't ever remember fussing very much at Sidwell, really. I mean, he just seemed like he was steady and they weren't perfect on defense, mm-hmm. but I mean they were they carried the team. So yeah. I, I don't think very many Saints fans have very many bad words to say about Sidwell.
0: So in 86, the Dome Patrol is together, but all four of them didn't start. Jackson did. He was the mainstay. He had been there since 81, three-time Pro Bowler. He was in the starting lineup. And Mills also started as an NFL rookie, but the other two guys, they were second-teamers. The Saints had another two linebackers, Alvin Tolles, who we briefly mentioned in our draft episode, and James Haynes, who we've never mentioned yet. He played six seasons. Number 92. Played six seasons for the Saints. What do you remember about? 1986, and Tolls and Haynes. Well, Haynes was a you know, tall,
1: rangy kind of linebacker. Tolles was was terrible. I mean, again, like we talked about him, he was a college fullback, and he, he just wasn't a good player. That was one of the worst draft picks ever, and I don't remember it taking very long
0: for for him not being there. Anyway. No, it was, it, was, uh, it was midway through 86. They started – tinkering with the Don't patrol and by 87 all four of them are in there so in 86 they finish seven and nine we get to 1987 we're gonna do some stuff on 87 i'm sure it's it's one i want to do a deep dive on but the Saints' season was infamously turned around in week six the coulda shoulda woulda game basically the saints get in position to beat the 49ers martin anderson misses what would have been a game-winning 52 yard field goal 49ers win 24 22 We already mentioned the coulda, woulda, shoulda game. We're mentioning it here. I'm sure it's not the last time we're going to mention the game. It's a very famous game. But Jim Moore goes on a tirade about being tired of saying coulda, shoulda, woulda.
1: Yeah, I I remember, again, I was 21 years old when this happened. But I remember walking out, being in that press conference and walking out of it. And and sometimes you're like, you know, that's something that people are going to talk about for years. You just kind of sometimes have a feeling when you're at a game or something, you're like, that's not going to fade away real quick, and uh, and it, you know for years you saw those bumper stickers. They probably still have some of those bumper stickers yeah. around New Orleans, but no, it was a dramatic kind of drop the mic kind of a. Of course, that was the beginning of it. Jim Morris had a lot of those over Definitely. his career, and a couple of them were focused on me. But he, uh, <laughs> but but no, that when you left that press conference, because they used to cram us in those days into this little bitty room. It wasn't a whole lot of extra space in that little bitty room where Moore would do his press conferences. And when he finished that when you, you knew you were in something
0: that people were going to be talking about for a while. I was only six years old when that happened. I remember watching football. I don't remember the games. You know, I was way too young. I definitely wasn't invested in the games like I am now. But that loss as a fan, being invested in the games like you were, it had to be one of the worst to endure.
1: Well, there were so many in that area. <laughs> I mean, really, in 87, 88, 89, it's unbelievable how many just heartbreaking, gut-wrenching losses they had. It was probably set the stage for
0: my distaste for Martin Anderson, him missing that field goal. Great segue, because I I watched the game on YouTube while I was doing research uh, for the episode. I watched that 49ers game. Saints scored 22 points in that game, and they had five field goals. So, I mean, Martin Anderson did pretty good. The only touchdown was on Alvin Toll's block punt return. Anderson missed a 51-yarder in the first half, and he missed the 52-yarder at the end. But, I mean, he had five field goals in the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, no, I get it. I get it. So, after the tirade, Swilling said that was a wake-up call for the Saints. He said Morrow was right, and that after a while, the team did start to think that losing close games was good enough. So, then the Saints turned their season around. They went out in 87. They win their next nine games. They finished 12-3, first-ever winning season, first trip to the playoffs. It's 1987. The Saints are going to the playoffs, Kev.
1: It was um, it was great fun, obviously. I mean, it was great. They had some we'll, – we'll get into the, all the different wins in, in 87. But, you know, you think you're going to win just because you got all this excitement. You had competed very well. You had beaten the 49ers in, in Cheeto stick and then you had beaten – and should have beat them at home or, or, or so you thought. And you, had, you were playing great and you had all those momentum. I mean, the Vikings weren't a team that the Saints had – really thought a whole lot about that, and this begins a history with the Vikings that we probably could do a future episode on, but just the history of the Vikings and, and the Saints, the first quarter was great, and then after that, it was just, it was when Saints fans learned that playoff football is different than regular, it's just
0: different than regular season football. The Saints lose that playoff game 44 to 10. The offense was absolutely brutal. 149 total yards of offense in that game, nine first downs. The defense had six sacks, recovered three fumbles. Jackson and Swilling each had a sack. Um, I don't know how much we want to go deep on that game here. We may save that for the 1987 uh, episode. What do you remember specifically about the defense in that game?
1: Well, I mean, they tried to keep them in the game, but, I mean, you can't. First of all, they were playing against another great defense. Like, they had great players on that defense, Randall and Millard and Joey Browner. And they went the next week to San Francisco, who was, you know, an elite team at that point, and beat them by two touchdowns. And how they lost to the Redskins, I think the only reason they lost to the Redskins is teams that travel 3 weeks in a row that third week they don't normally do very well. That's only cuz that Redskins team was not as good as the Saints, they were not as good as the 40 Honors and they were not as good as the Vikings and yet they went to the Super Bowl and won it what 42 to 10 or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. And they and they were probably the fourth best team in the NFC that year at best.
0: So that's the end of 87, we get to 88, the Saints start 7 and 1 in 88. They end up finishing 10 and 6 a three-way tie with the 49ers and the Rams for the division. So they go the entire history of the franchise without a winning season. Now they have back-to-back winning seasons in 87 and 88, but uh, they missed the playoffs in 88.
1: Again, they had so many heartbreaking losses that year, including um – you know, we don't want to go through all of the game no. against the Giants where they lost 13-12, to 12 and they had an official, Fred Silva, called holding on a, on a second-and-one dive play to run out the clock uh, to uh, Buford Jar. And it, it it was awful. They they should have won 12 games or so, 13 games that year. They just didn't. But the defense was still elite. The Dome Patrol was great, and the defense was elite.
0: We'll go into 88 a little bit. The Mills and Johnson began to shine in 88. They combined for 219 tackles in 88. Uh, 12 of the 16 games in 88 were decided by 8 points or less. They had a six stretch in 88 where they enter week 13 at 9-3 and three after dominating the Broncos and John Elway 42 nothing. Then they played the Giants in week 13, swelling as three sacks in the game, uh, but the offense wasn't great. Bobby threw three, three interceptions in that game. The Giants kick a last-second field goal. The Saints lose 13-12. Morton Anderson accounts for all 12 points in that game, Kevin. Martin Anderson. They followed that up with a 45-3 loss to the Vikings, totally dominated in that one, and then the big one. Of course, week 15 matchup with the 49ers. The NFC West is on the line. The Saints opened the 88 season with a week one loss to the 49ers in New Orleans, 31-33. In week 15, the Saints are up 10-7 after Ricky Jackson forced a fumble in the first half. The next play, Dalton Hilliard with an option pass to Lonzel Hill, put the Saints up 10-7. Saints had three first-half turnovers in that game, only came away with 10 points. Just just awful. Um, You know, you kind of
1: read fast, though. The Vikings, just to tease the future Viking. this was a good, solid Saints team. They got, the Vikings beat them 44 to 10 in the playoffs here before. What was this score, 45 to three? Yeah,
0: let's see what it was. It was
1: unbelievable how the Vikings just abused the Saints in that era. And I mean, if you're a Saints fan, I don't know how anybody
0: cannot not the Vikings. So the 49ers end up winning that game, and that ends up deciding the division in 89 move on to 89 uh, the saints missed the playoffs again but they finished nine and seven so they're, they're they're finishing with winning records and this is the year that ricky jackson broke his cheekbone in a car accident everybody thought he'd be out four to six weeks he ends up only missing two weeks he played with that special helmet uh, yeah. for, for the rest of the year what do you remember about 89
1: what i remember by 89 just trying to be glass half full was it looked like the saints season was over and, and they weren't going to have a winning season and they had you know that was the the year that they of the um famous Willie Anderson, Flipper Anderson game and they had so many awful losses that they should not have lost. But they came down to the end of the year and they brought in John 4K to finish out the season. And they beat the um, they beat the Eagles by ten on Monday night football. They beat uh, went to Buffalo, through a screen pass, a Dalton he went fifty some yards to a touchdown and they beat the Bills in the snow. And then they played Clarence Verdon from the Cajuns and the Colts in the last game and just crushed. Them. That was fun. At least we had a winning season. See, winning seasons back then was still... Yeah. I mean, I still love late winning seasons, sure. but back then it was really still kind of
0: felt good. Right. So let's get to 1990, one of the more bizarre years in Saints history. Bobby Abra holds out, and the Saints quarterback is going into that season are Steve Walsh and John Forcade. We're probably going to do some episodes on 1990 later. We'll probably do a Forcade episode, maybe not a Walsh episode. Nonetheless, going into 90 without Bobby, what's the outlook? Awful. And, <laughs> you
1: know... I was I was I was not a lover of Bobby Abreu but I certainly respected what he did. You know, we're, we're talking about the Dome Patrol here. So, the Dome Patrol was great. Look, I'm not trying to minimize the Dome Patrol, but I think so many of us don't fully appreciate the role that the offense had in the Dome Patrol. Any de- even if you have a great defense, if you're on the field too much you're going to get exposed. Look at the Flipper Anderson game we just talked about. That was a great defense. Back then if you go back and look at some of those stats. I mean they would have very they would give up very few plays in an entire season of over like 20 yards. Like they made teams earn everything that they had. And they didn't give up any rushing yards for that game to see in one quarter of football. Jim ever throw for whatever he threw for, 300 yards and a quarter and an overtime. And it was unbelievable. He had a whole game yeah. and a quarter and a half against an elite defense on the road. Just goes to show you what, the more time you spend on the field, bad things can happen, even if you're a great defense. Right. And the Saints would cons- consistently be among the league leaders in time of possession, and they ran the ball. If you have a fancy offense and you run up and down the field all the time and you score a bunch of points, whether it's the high school level or the professional level, the guy, it's harder to play great defense. It's easier to play great defense when you control the clock and you have a good short passing game and you run the football and all that. I, I've always thought for, for a long time that – the Saints' offense and their their strategy that they have, they don't get enough. It doesn't get enough credit in terms of part of the reason why the defense was so good. Right.
0: Yeah, That the, all the credit goes to the defense in those years. But, yes. But what you're saying is right. So the Saints headed into the final two games of the season at 6-8. and eight. Week 15, they play the 49ers in San Francisco. The 49ers are 13-1 and one heading into that game, but they're without Joe Montana, who had broke his leg earlier that season. Still, they have Steve Young, who won his two starts leading up to the Saints game. The Saints still at 6-8 and eight are mathematically in the playoff hunt, but it's not really looking great that the Saints are going to make the playoffs here at 6-8. and eight. Right. So the defense plays lights out against the 49ers. They sack Young four times, two from Ronaldo Turnbull, who was in his rookie season. Saints first-round pick that season out of West Virginia. First kinda time, like, Kind of like tall, lanky,
1: kind of like Davenport mm-hmm. is now. Yeah,
0: Yeah. That's the first time we've ever mentioned him, but he was a solid player for a long time. Yes, I liked him. So Ricky Jackson also has a sack in that game. Late in the game, Sam Sam Mills has a huge hit on third down. A helmet-to-helmet hit. He launched in the air on Tom Rathman to stop him. Mills comes up woozy and wobbly. He never comes off the field. Nobody throws a flag. Nothing is said. Just a different time for football when when that hit happened. Oh, absolutely. But it was a big hit. I watched it on YouTube, and, I mean, he was was woozy. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) no. Next 49ers drive, the first play, Brent Jones catches a pass and fumbles. Vaughn Johnson recovers. Sets up. Martin Anderson from 40 yards. Puts the Saints up 13 to 10. So, Anderson gets it done again. How long was this kick? It was 40 yards. Mm, You got to (laughs) make 40-yard field. So, the 49ers get a third and four um, at the end of the game. Swilling bats the ball down, nearly picks it off, but that forced a punt. 49ers get the ball back. They're driving. With 50 seconds left, they're at the Saints' 20-yard line. Young goes to hand the ball off to Dexter Carter. Carter fumbles. Ricky Jackson recovers, and the Saints win.
1: You notice Pat Swilling didn't recover. (laughs)
0: You know who recovered yeah. the fumble. <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember anything, because I was reading a lot about this during my research, do you remember anything about people saying the 49ers were resting their star players for that game? Do you remember anything about that?
1: Uh, I mean, not specifically, but it made sense. They were 13-1 and one and probably had everything wrapped up. So teams typically, you know, kind of did that fairly often. You think I you think I was worried about that? No. No.
0: I don't. I no. really
1: don't I was <laughs> no, not worried about that. But no, I am sure it's possible, yes.
0: So that brings the Saints to seven and eight, the final game of the season against the Rams. It's Monday night football. It's New Year's Eve. It's in the dome. I mean, it's just it's it's setting up for an epic finish, and it ended up being that week. But first they needed the Cowboys that Sunday was playing the Falcons
1: okay. at, at Fulton County. I'm trying to think. I think that I think we needed the Falcons to win. Yes. And I remember rooting for the Falcons against the Cowboys, who always kind of liked the Cowboys. And so I didn't hate them as much as I do now. Kind of back then, I kind of rooted for the Cowboys some, but but to help the Saints. Right. Yeah. I mean, you pulled for the Falcons, Definitely. which you never did at that in that time or hardly any other time. And so yeah, they, they wanted to set up if the Saints won. You know, they play well in that game. And you know what happened at the end of that game. Back then we could get go down on the field. So it's a two minute warning, run down on the field, and I'm standing right underneath the goalpost in the end zone. And they and it's like, I don't know, a twenty something yard field goal, a chip shot, and all of a sudden he misses it. He missed it. With the playoffs on the line, he missed a twenty something yard field goal, Martin Anderson. Well it got blocked. Okay. They, then they called some sort of penalty, yeah. and he got another chance, yeah. and then he made it. But I'm sitting here looking at the ball. I don't see a penalty flag. I'm looking, and all of a sudden, like,
0: uh, my head's about to explode. Yeah. And thankfully, they got a reprieve. But he missed it. Yeah, playoffs on the line with eight seconds left. Anderson comes in for a 29-yard field goal. The kick is blocked, but the Rams are offsides. Unbelievable the call that they made for the Rams to be offside. Anderson gets another chance from 24 yards, and it's good. Saints are going to the playoffs. So at six and eight two weeks ago, they're playing the number one seed 49ers. They beat them, come here, need a bunch of stuff to happen, play the Rams, and now they're going to the playoffs.
1: But you know what I felt at the time was, got cheated out of a division title, tied for first, and got cheated out of division title in 88. Had all those agonizing losses, had had two winning seasons, didn't make the playoffs. So it was kind of fitting and payback. they didn't have a winning season they weren't as good that year as they were those previous two years but they made the playoffs That just shows you how crazy sports can be
0: i watched the game on youtube again the monday night football broadcast showed they had a camera on the cowboys emmett smith and one other guy that i didn't recognize and they were beating the table and you know the saints said one day we're out of the playoffs so i like that all right the saints go to the playoffs they they play the bears in the playoffs and the defense didn't play poorly. Turnbull has a good game with two sacks, but the offense just wasn't up to the task, and they lose sixteen to six.
1: Well, I don't remember the score at the time. It was probably nine to six, nine to three, something like that. And the Saints blocked a field goal, picked it up, ran it back for a touchdown, and they call—they've called it back with said the Saints were lined up in the neutral zone. That's still a little <laughs> bitter about that.
0: Those are the things that you remember for sure. All those lined
1: up in the neutral zone. Didn't move, didn't jump off sides, but they called lineup up for the neutral zone against the Chicago Bears who had a right defensive end, Hall of Fame level right defensive end named Richard Dent, who lined up in the neutral zone on every play of his career. Yeah. He was always lined up in the neutral zone.
0: But the Saints were lined up in the neutral zone. So that takes us to 1991. Saints start 7-0 and in 1991. I remember – I definitely remember that 7-0 and start. I mean, I was 10 years old. I just thought the Saints were unstoppable that year. Then they proceeded to go 2-5 and over their next seven. Um, I remember that as well. It seemed like the team was firing in all cylinders. Bobby was back. The Dome Patrol was in full force. But then they started to struggle. What was going on during that time?
1: The first loss, they they outplayed the Bears for three quarters, but they didn't put them away. It was typical of Saints games in that era. And the defense gives up one drive at the end, and they lose. But in the last three to four weeks of the season, they lost – all their cornerbacks. Uh they lost two starters and a backup. And so they really had problems. I mean, they were they went and picked up Mark Lee, ex Packer, off the street. He wasn't with anybody's team at the time. Just to get to the playoff game. But mm-hmm. but uh they their secondary had issues and then of course they had to play the Falcons who had Michael Haynes, New Orleans native, who was an elite deep threat receiver and they, they didn't cover
0: him very well. Nineteen ninety one was also the Cha Ching season. Kev you yes. remember you I, remember Cha Ching?
1: I, I I'm, I was a much bigger fan of Um. It Can Happen Here and, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda and those things than Cha-Ching. But, yeah, I certainly remember
0: Cha-Ching. I remember Cha-Ching. I was a kid. I loved Cha-Ching. <laughs> what Cha-Ching is, is 1991 rallies. the same company that we probably know as Checkers here in Lafayette. Um, they had a commercial with Seth Green in it. No one knew who Seth Green was at the time. Foot, you probably still don't know who Seth Green is. No, but I remember him. Anyway, the character in the commercials, he worked for a fictional burger joint. It was called Prices, And every time somebody ordered something off the menu, he would say cha because it was so expensive. And Rallies was saying that their stuff was cheaper. So Cha-Ching took New Orleans over. Cha-Ching signs everywhere. Uh, something tells me you weren't a real big Cha-Ching guy, though.
1: No, I didn't. You know, I was okay with it, but it, it didn't it didn't stick with me.
0: So anyway, in 91, they're 9-5 nine heading into the playoff push. It's a Monday night football game against the Raiders. And this game was special to me because... My dad let me stay up late and watch the game. The only time I could ever stay up late during school nights was when the Saints played on Monday night, and it rarely happened. They didn't play a whole lot of Monday night games, but I got to stay up and watch that game. So I remember it forever, and the Saints shut the Raiders out. The defense 27-0. was
1: incredible in that game. Defense you go back and sacks. look at the box score of that game. Yeah. It was unbelievable they how had, good they were. They had
0: four sacks. They, they win 27 nothing. just a great night for 10-year-old me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but no, that the dome patrol was in. You know, they were they were do, they were still dominant in that era, and that and the Raiders weren't very good on offense. And who was the quarterback of the game? Might have been the, that that blonde headed guy. What's what's his name? Um, he
0: played with the Redskins for a little while. Jay Wolverine. Schroeder, yeah, Jay Schroeder, yeah. They, they were overwhelmed. So they went again the following week, 27-3, beat down of the Cardinals, Jackson and in each record a sack in that game. And the Saints win their first division championship in 1991. So what's going on there in your brain?
1: You just It's fun being good consistently every year. And you were just so worried that they weren't going to be healthy enough. And would they have enough offense? That's what everybody talked about in that era because mm-hmm. the not patrol and the defense right, was great. Right. And could you have enough offense? And and uh, they kind of both were to blame in that playoff loss.
0: So let's talk about before we get to the playoffs, let's talk about the Don't Patrol. Swilling finished the seasons finishes the season with the league lead in sacks. He had 17 sacks. Ricky Jackson also had double digits with eleven and a half. Sam Mills had 102 tackles. It was a dominant year, and Swilling was named defensive player of the year. I know you don't care about awards like that. But this season is the torch sort of pass from Jackson to Swilling, or did that already happen, or was it still Ricky Jackson's? Well,
1: team? I think everybody knew. Sacks
0: had become the glamour statistic, for,
1: and it still is. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it'd it, it become the glamour statistic. And I think everybody always knew. That's why so many people nationally thought Lawrence Taylor was just way better than Ricky Jackson, just because Ricky Jackson got sacks, but not nearly as many as a Lawrence Taylor did or even a Pat Swilling did. So if you watch Ricky, he did everything well. I still don't think that Lawrence Taylor did everything well like Ricky Jackson did. Now, he was, a you know, an incredible player, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But I think all true Saints fans always knew that Swilling was nowhere near as good as Ricky Jackson. He just did great at a glamour statistic. And, look, I didn't begrudge him. for. I mean, he was still a Saints guy winning a league MVP kind of an award, right. Player of the Year award. So I was good with it, but, but, no, I don't think anybody ever thought Swilling was as good as Ricky Jackson. At least I never did.
0: So then you kind of alluded to that 91 Falcons game with, with Michael Haynes and all that. What, what, do, you, what do you remember about how the, how the Don't Patrol itself played in that? Oh, game? you know, they did
1: okay. But, again, it's hard to play defense. You know, another one of the losses that year was to the Falcons where Fred McAfee um, fumbled at the end of a game. The old, you're running out the clock. All you got to do is not fumble any fumble, and they lost in overtime. It's Those are those are hard to live with. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, no, I mean, they lost 27-20. And, you know, they didn't get lit up, but they gave up too many big plays. The secondary wasn't good enough, and their offense, you know, squandered too many opportunities. It it was kind of how they lost in in those days. You've had all them winning seasons now in a four- or five-year stretch, and you still haven't won a playoff
0: game, and you just – frustration is building. So the 1992 was the final year that Don't Patrol was together. The Saints and their playoff records are, are kind of bizarre. Here they finish 12-4 and four and make the playoffs, but they don't win the division. Instead, the 49ers win at 14-2. and two. So they make the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. They don't make it at 97. It's, it's, it, it's just like – Yeah, they're thing. all over
1: the place. In 92, you know, obviously when the current era started, obviously I pull for them every game and I'm intensely a, a huge Saints fan. But I always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder for the people who try to dismiss this era that we're talking about, how they just weren't good or they weren't as good as as we thought they were or whatever. Like the 2016 that made it to, I don't think that team was as good as this 92 Saints team. Up until the Super Bowl team and the 2011 team, Even after they made the NFC Championship game in 06, I always said this was the best team in St. history. Their biggest loss of that season was six points. I mean, they lost to the Eagles at the beginning of that game on a last-second field goal by, like, one or two points. They lost to the Bills, who were in the middle of their Super Bowl run, by six points. That was their biggest loss of the whole season until the playoffs. I mean, they they were 12-4, and but, you know, could have been even better than that. They were just really solid. And the offense was not as bad that year as it. their numbers weren't as mediocre as they were in some of those other years. I thought that was a
0: great football team. They just
1: choked again in the playoffs.
0: It was a banner year for the Dome Patrol. All four starting linebackers made the Pro Bowls the first time. I think it's still the only time that uh, that's ever happened. So they just had the best collective year that year, or do you think it was kind of a combination? I think a
1: reputation by that time had kind of taken over, and it it, it works that way. I mean, I'm not saying they weren't good or didn't deserve it. You know, Swilling was coming off of his great year, and and Ricky was Ricky, and even Vaughn Johnson, people started to notice, you know, this Vaughn Johnson guy is pretty good too. And so, yeah, I think it was more of a reputation thing while
0: all four got in. So the Saints go to the playoffs. They play the Eagles in the playoffs. They led 2010 heading into the fourth quarter, but the fourth quarter was an absolute disaster. Saints gave up a safety and a pick six. The Eagles scored 26 points in the fourth quarter, and I was at my nanny's house. My parron changed the channel after the safety. I had to go in their bedroom to finish watching the game. Maybe he had the right I was at
1: my nanny's house for that Falcon game in 91. my nanny and Uncle Bobby's house in that one. And I was at this game, and right before this game, this was a late Sunday afternoon game. The early Sunday afternoon game was the famous Oilers-Bills comeback game. And I was watching that game with Dr. Z. Uh, He he said a lot of crazy stuff. But as I'm watching that game, I'm thinking, man, this is weird. Like, this isn't – I remember at halftime of that game I said, I just got finished watching a 35-3 lead not held up. And the Saints, what were they up? Like, what what was it at half?
0: At half, it was 17-7 seven at half. Okay, 17-7. Seven. And then they ended up 36-20. 36-20, yeah, okay.
1: Right. You know, they had a not a huge lead, but a double-digit lead. And you felt good, but I'm just like, man, I just saw a team on TV up 35-3 and lose. So I didn't really feel that great at half.
0: So that ends the Don't Patrol era. The next offseason, Pat Swilling was traded to the to Detroit for the Lions' first and fourth round picks in 1993. So the Saints used those picks for Willie Roof and Lorenzo Neal. So I think they probably won that trade. The players. But, but still, when you lose Swilling. Yeah, it was,
1: you know, again, the, the the Dome Patrol was, like we talked about at the very beginning, it, the amazing thing to me is how, I mean, Vaughn Johnson's the only one that I can't say anything bad about, him, and he was obviously, like, the Ringo star of the Dome Patrol. But I just loved the guy. He was a great interview. Nice guy. I can't say anything bad about him. I can't really say anything bad about Sam Mills other than he was he went part of the of the Benedict Arnold thing to go into Carolina, and then it's just still just sickens me that they have this statue of him up there. And you know, he went with Skipper. I mean, it was unbelievable how many all them you know Vic Fangio win and and Dom Capers and Skipper the running back coach. And I mean the tight end. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it was like a mass exodus out of New Orleans to go start this new franchise who had all the benefits of, a, you know, to start a new franchise that the Saints never had. When That's why people say, well, why, how can you hate them more than the Falcons? Well, the Saints and the Falcons, we kind of grew up together. We <laughs> we both had to go through all the schools of hard knocks, and, and, they, and they bring all these new franchises in, like the Arnolds and the Jags, and they give them everything. Like, what? what we didn't get everything in 1967. We had to struggle for a decade, right. and they, they they set it pretty up for them. And they oh, they won right away. We well, were no wonder they won right away. They got all everybody's good players. So I don't know. Still very bitter about that, but but I, I always held that against Sam Mills. And then Ricky Jackson ended up going to play in Cheeto Stick Park and won a <laughs> Super Bowl. And I interviewed him on the radio one time, and I said, Ricky, you know, you know, you're great Saints, but I just I will I'll never be able to. Get forget that. I I just never be able to get over that. And he said, I know, I know." But he was like, "You got to understand. You know, they were they were disrespecting him, and they played hardball with him." And look, you mentioned Jim Finks earlier. I still blame a lot of that on Jim Finks because he played hardball with A. Bear, and A. Bear didn't handle it right. But I didn't think Jim Finks handled it right either. And, and I thought it was totally irresponsible for the Saints to go into that 1990 season with, with John Forcade and then have to trade for Steve Walsh and all. That's all. It that killed the Saints. It killed their momentum. Mm -hmm. And I know they were really good in 91
0: and they were even better in 92, but I think it could have all lasted a little longer if he'd have handled that better. The Saints faltered in '93 without Swilling. They go eight and eight, but they had Ronaldo Turnbull, who we mentioned earlier. He uh, was kind of the replacement, but he he didn't play poorly. But how much did they miss Swilling specifically in '93? I don't know.
1: It's hard to say. I I, I never really thought Swilling not being there was the reason why they struggled. I just it was amazing how, and it just goes to show you how franchises. Who are really good for a long period of time, and teams that are really there's so many things that can mess them up that they get they are able to get past that we don't recognize. Like that was a good team, and they had a good run going there from '87 to '92, and then by '94 it was just complete nothing.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean just nothing, you know. And I think it was '93 was the Blueprint game. They started out five. I want to say they started out 4-0 or 5-0 and went to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh played really tight coverage. After that, everybody said, wait a minute. If you just press these wide receivers, this offense can't operate. And it was a disaster show after that.
0: So after 93, Vaughn Johnson goes to the Eagles. Ricky Jackson goes to the 49ers, like you mentioned. Uh, Mills plays one more year in 94 with the Saints. And it was a good one. He had 155 tackles that year. Uh, Saints finished seven and nine, the first losing season that they had since nineteen eighty six. And then Mills goes on to the Panthers, and then that's it for Dompotrel. No and, and
1: Jim Moore retires and quits in the middle of the season, which I didn't blame him. I mean, it's just amazing how quickly it fell apart. But it was it was definitely fun while it lasted. And it, like you kind of said at the beginning, it gave the Saints fan base an identity, and it was a fun identity. And it's fun to play defense. I've always said, look, I love everything Drew Brees did and throwing the football and offense being great, and that is fun. But I still think the most fun thing is sacking the quarterback with a lead in the fourth quarter. It's about being a football fan. I love that. So I love playing that great defense. It's something that Saints fans forever, as long as we live, will always remember how how good they were. It was fun stuffing people. But it is amazing when you go back and you go year by year like we just did, how quickly it just kind of dissipated. And that's that's sports, I mean. way it works
0: so when we started you said you were going to tell me who your favorite member was and then you kind of gave it away in the middle you said it was Vaughn Johnson but you didn't have to I knew it was Vaughn Johnson (laughs) before you even said that so (laughs) tell us why Vaughn Johnson was your
1: favorite well uh, he's just my favorite because he was just a nice guy he was great to interview you know my favorite players in that era again I was a you know 21 22 23 year old reporter covering the home games I like Toy Cook even a lot of people didn't like Toy Cook he was a cornerback that was kind of unpopular he was a great interview communications major at, at Stunford. I didn't call it Stunford back then, but <laughs> but uh, at Stunford, Ricky was, you know, everyone wanted to talk to Ricky, but Ricky was a terrible interview. You know, Ricky was just, he would grunt here and there and say a few things here and there, but Ricky didn't want to talk to the media after the football game. He just didn't. I, didn't, I wasn't mad at him for it. He just wasn't a good interview. Mm-hmm. Sam was good, but. He was kind of on the quiet side. And Vaughn was quiet too, but I would get more one-on-one time because everyone was flocked around Bobby Hebert because he's the quarterback and Ricky Jackson because he's Ricky Jackson. Not that many people would go talk to Vaughn Johnson. I would regularly go talk to him and Toy Cook. I love talking to cornerbacks and guys like Vaughn Johnson who are big parts of the team, but not everybody's around. And that way you can ask more questions and and get more in-depth with your interview. I always enjoyed that.
0: What's your final thoughts on the
1: dome patrol? Uh, I wish we had it today. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? Can you imagine? Can you imagine having these guys in their prime right now? Yeah. I wish. I wish we had it today. No, it, it was. It was fun playing defense. I always thought the Saints were a little. It was like wrong place, wrong time because the noise factor played into it. But when you're playing on turf, that's more of a speed thing than it is a t- you know. I always wondered what the Dome Patrol would have been like if they were playing like, you know, like the Bears defense in that era was, where it was bad weather and, you know, cold. And I wonder if the Dome Patrol would have been even better. Because Ricky, I mean, because Pat Swilling was speed, but but Vaughn Johnson really wasn't about speed. The cornerbacks weren't super fast. I, I think they would have actually been better had they played, you know, like at Soldier Field or someplace than, than playing indoors on turf. But I'm glad they played for the Saints. Oh, no, I'm <laughs> glad they played for the Saints, yes. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs>